I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I've been so busy of late, I just realised that The Mandalorian dropped Season 2 in a couple of days. My name is Justin Hamilton, and I'm going to stop daydreaming about Baby Yoda being my actual child just long enough to produce this episode of Big Squid. Welcome to you today's show. We have Ben Elwood returning to talk about The Dark Knight Rises in our Christopher Nolan rewatch. We've been staggering these episodes to give everyone in Melbourne more time to see Tenet. So I'm hoping with the good news this week about restrictions being lifted and good work Melbourne, good work Victoria, you have done it hard and you are now going to reap the rewards and uh, hopefully one of those rewards is that they'll reopen the cinemas in a COVID-friendly environment. Uh, as you may have heard me talk on this podcast, the cinema experience up here has been fantastic. No one's allowed to sit in front of you, to the side of you, or behind you, and the cinemas are super clean. I know. How insane is that? So hopefully they'll be uh, reopening the cinemas soon. So if you've been dying to see Tenet and trying to avoid any spoilers, like I know Stav Davidson and I had a little bit of a chat about it when it first came out, but Ben and I really want to dig into it. So knowing that our Victorian friends can hopefully get to the movie soon, uh, that means we can uh, barrel on through to the finish line. Some exciting news before we get into today's podcast. Keep the date free, December 13, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, because we have our inaugural live Big Squid Atheist Christmas Party Show. And you can either see it in person at Giant Dwarf or you can stream it live online. I'm in the middle of finalising guests, so I'm not going to announce who is on just yet, but (laughs) some of the people I have on... Their ideas are great, and it's going to be a really fun show. And what we're going to do is we're going to try and help you celebrate Christmas in a way that doesn't mean you have to buy Baby Jesus a birthday card. (laughs) 
So more details to come. And uh, if you'd like to stay across everything, head over to our Big Squid Facebook page where I'll be keeping everyone there up to date. We also have a winner for our first Win Stuff Off My Desk competition. As you may remember in our last podcast, I shared with you that Ben and I had decided which director we were going to do our next deep dive on. And to be a part of this competition, all you had to do was guess who that director was. And my goodness, uh, at the Facebook page, over at Twitter, on my Instagram page, I had so many people having a punt, taking a guess. I tried to get everyone to go to the Facebook page, but people were just messaging me left, right and centre, and it was kind of funny to be reading names out of context. (laughs) You know, you just open up Instagram and you just see a random name writing to you, Catherine Bigelow. (laughs) And it's like, uh, oh, right, yes, the competition. So uh, lots of great suggestions, lots of great guesses. You know, I think lots of people thought it was going to be David Fincher. There was a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, some Wes Anderson. Uh, You know, it was kind of across the board. Uh, Someone suggested Michael Bay, (laughs) which entertained me so much. But uh, only one person guessed correctly, and that was Jamie East, who guessed Sophia Coppola. Uh, We picked uh, Coppola because, well, for a number of reasons. Uh, The the movies I've seen that she's directed, uh, I've really enjoyed all of the ones that I've seen. But there are ones that I haven't seen, and I thought, oh, that's good. And there's some movies that Ben hasn't seen either. So rather than doing it the way we did with the Nolan movies, where I've seen so many of these movies so many times. Like, I've probably seen Interstellar 1,427 times. Like, give or take. Four or five, either way. (laughs) But I thought it would be more interesting to have some of the movies where we have a bit of a history with them, and then some of the movies like will be coming out at Raw. So just kind of change up the texture of the podcast, change up the approach, and uh, we thought that might be a, a fun way to dig into... Uh, her work and also you know to be honest Ben and I just wanted to steer clear of the sausage forest that makes up the movie director's world so many men so many men so let's change it up a little bit right that's a good idea and then you know maybe next time we could do the Coen brothers or David Lynch or we can get to Fincher etc But uh, anyway, in the meantime, Jamie has won stuff from my desk. And what Jamie has won uh, includes the graphic novel Camelot 3000 by Mike Barr and Brian Boland. I've owned it for nearly two years and I still haven't read it. So it's coming your way, Jamie. Uh, The book, The Myth of the Great Ending, which I enjoyed the first two thirds and then thought, holy shit, this has gone off the deep end. Uh, There's a... Still sealed DVD of season two of The Returned. I never got around to watching the second season and I have no idea where the first season has gone. So you're going to get that. There's a little blank notebook that reads shit list on the red cover. Nothing written on the inside. You can write whatever you want in it, Jamie. Maybe it can be your shit list. There's a card for car boot wines. I don't know where that came from, but it's now yours. A badge that promoted the comic book series Doomsday Clock and a Malaysian 20-cent piece. You're welcome, Jamie. (laughs) 
<laughs> and uh, look, since it's my competition, I've decided I'm going to reward Bill Cadditz, who is getting a runner-up prize because <laughs> he guessed 3,000 different directors' names and then told me in a direct message that Sophia Coppola was next. But Jamie beat him to it. He was about to guess it. And I don't know if he's telling me the truth. I feel like Bill is. Why would he be lying to me? So, because he was so close and he was really given it a red hot go, I think he may have been the one that mentioned Michael Bay, which did uh, tickle my fancy a lot. So, uh, Bill, you're getting a copy of Chuck Palahniuk's Adjustment Day, uh, his latest book, or maybe his, uh, maybe there's another book since then. But anyway, I sort of enjoyed it and was sort of bored by it and found it a little bit childish and a little bit interesting, but really readable. So you're getting an adjustment day and issue one of the question, The Deaths of Vic Sage, uh, which I kind of enjoyed the first issue, but just never bothered to finish. So if you enjoy the first issue, you'll have to find the others, uh, you know on your own. <laughs> uh, a bookmark from Book Depository and an Oyster card for whenever you can visit England again, which I'm guessing will be 2027. So uh, thanks to everyone who took a punt and guessed away. Lots of really good suggestions for us further down the track. And uh, once again, congratulations to Jamie for being correct and Bill for almost being correct. And we'll do some more competitions. Did you enjoy that? I really enjoyed it. It was really entertaining. So let me let me have a think, and maybe I'll even write up some uh, a little segment jingle. Win stuff off my desk, something like that. I feel like I feel like I want to make up some little segment intros. That'd be fun, right? I've got I've got all these ideas for segments, and I've been working on these for a little while now. They're they're they're, they're taking longer than I expected. I don't know why. I think it's because I don't I don't need things to be perfect, but I just need things to be a little bit better. There's were a short story that I'm working on that I was going to launch a, a companion podcast called Beautiful Tales for the Disenchanted. But what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to start it off as a segment here, and uh, we'll start off with some uh, short stories, and then. We will uh, maybe, if you enjoy them, spin it off into its own separate thing. I'm also going to do more of the uh, John Cheever short stories. Maybe that can be our next competition. Who wants to name it? What should our John Cheever short story reread be called? Cheever and Chives? I don't know. Have a think. Let me know. Go to the Facebook page. Let me know there or let me know on Twitter and Instagram with no context. So I'm looking and thinking, what the fuck does this mean? But anyway, uh, there's more stuff to come. But for today's podcast, it's just going to be Ben and me with you. So today we return to Gotham where the city has experienced a time of peace for the past eight years after the death of District Attorney Harvey Dent. 
Unbeknownst to anyone but a few good men, the peace in Gotham is built on a lie. It is a lie that eats away at the soul of Commissioner Gordon. It is a lie that forces billionaire Bruce Wayne into a life of seclusion, where he mourns the death of his childhood friend Rachel and laments that he is incapable of spending his fortune in a way that can benefit his city. It is also a lie that breeds more deception, that weighs heavily on the conscience of Bruce's loyal butler Alfred. What all these men cannot know is that evil is returning to Gotham to exact revenge for their sins, an evil that goes by one name, Bane. It is time for Batman to return to fight his final battle in The Dark Knight Rises. There's a storm coming. You sound like you're looking forward to it. I'm adaptable. What are you? I'm Gotham's reckoning. seem to have had his uh, dialogue re uh, reproduced and it sounded a lot clearer crystal clear yeah crystal clear even in that uh in even in the opening scene with the plane yes with all of that sound design happening i could yes. still hear all of his dialogue perfectly yes which i don't know i remember that being a big complaint in the cinema but yeah. I, maybe i was so swept up with it in the cinema and just the the aggressive assault of 3 hours of the dark knight rises that i didn't really have time to realize that maybe bane was a bit muffled I remember it being a complaint as well, yeah. and uh, the, the moment that I kind of really noticed it was, funnily enough, the moment that I really noticed it was when he's speaking quietly to Bruce, when uh-huh. he's broken uh-huh. him, yeah. and there's a little bit like, oh, I don't quite understand what he's saying, but I love Tom Hardy, and I'm yeah. loving this movie, so yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what, I don't need it. I don't need, <laughs> I don't need the dialogue, but it is fun to be able to hear him a bit clearer, especially in that opening as well, which, which we'll get to. I think that opening is weirdly underrated yeah and i just think it's once again and and there's heaps to talk about here but once again i think the underestimation of bane is he's really funny yeah it's a funny character yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah yeah you know yeah 
Will it be painful? Painful for you. Like, it's all, you know. <laughs> He's funny. Uh, this rewatch, it's really interesting because, uh, you know, I know when it came out, there was a lot of kind of Occupy Wall Street oh, analogies yeah. and stuff. Yeah. This time, upon the rewatch, it felt like it fit our current time oh. a hell of a lot more than it fit circa 2013 when it came out. Yeah, what was it? 12, 2012, 2012 maybe? 12, 13. Yeah, yeah. It feels like, like Bane felt very... Very Trumpian. Oh. And he's funny in the way that Trump is funny. In yes. that, like, nihilistic, yes. like, I just don't give a fuck kind of way, which, you know, isn't funny when you think about it, but is quite superficially like, oh, and then you kind of go, wait a second, oh. No, but uh, I think what people get confused about senses of humour yeah. is that if you don't find someone funny, mm. you don't think they have a sense of humour, and that's incorrect. That's absolutely true. Donald yep. Trump obviously has a sense of humour, mm-hmm. it's just not one that comes from somebody you like. Absolutely. But as, as, as someone who has watched a lot of comedy and who can... He, 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 I think he is objectively funny. When you right. divorce yourself from the content and the context yes. and, and the real-world implications, like, he does have timing yes. and he does have a method of delivery that it, you know there was that there was that moment years ago when he was first campaigning when he's a baby started crying yes. in the you know and he's like I love babies nobody loves babies better than me actually get that baby out of here and the comedy beats between yeah. the you know the the setup and the punchline were stand up beats yes. so he is funny it's just horrific yeah um and i felt that very much with bane this time yes you know and then also the fact that bane you know like oh we're tearing down the elite and all this stuff is exactly this trump rhetoric but there's actually no there's no substance to it because you're just going to blow everything up anyway right so you just want to see everyone tear each other to pieces before you fucking nuke them yeah and that felt to me like geez that's that's trump so so is bane buff trump (laughs) <laughs> buff Trump. Yeah. Is that what we've discovered? It's really fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and I totally agree with you. Watching it now, mm. it has a completely different uh, context yeah. to when I watched it the first time. Yeah. 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 In fact, in fact, I think it actually, for me, in that kind of mythological, what it's actually about sense. Right. It it makes more sense in the current context because right. I always, I, I think earlier viewings of it i was always like what's the point of you know this giant plan if you're just going to bomb them anyway and i get you know his rhetoric of like i want to tear themselves apart but i think that always seemed like a maybe too long a bow for me right whereas now it's like oh no that's completely realistic that's you know as insane as that is yes Uh, my my fear of Christopher Nolan films is that he's accidentally making documentaries from the future. <laughs> and if you think about it, it's like, in a weird way, Dunkirk is the most relaxing of the movies because it happened <laughs> in the past and happened. I know I don't have to worry about the future. Like, the only thing that could re- be really cool from the future of Dunkirk is that I get to hang out with Harry Styles. But, the, <laughs> but you know, this film suddenly feels much more relevant. Yeah. And, it, and I know some people who push back at him being a little bit of a right-wing director Mm. And I don't think he is at all. I just think he mm. gives you a broad palette yeah. of ideas and thoughts and then you project onto it totally what you're thinking. And that's why now it seems even more relevant. But Interstellar seems like a like a really scary, you know, documentary oh, from the absolutely. future. And Tenet with yeah. you know, the future 
kidding. at war with the past, yeah. and you go, oh, Jesus, yeah, that sounds like it could happen as well. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. i got to say, just to sidetrack this tenant for a second, I did spend most of that movie going, what is the motivation for destroying the past? And when they actually said it, I was like, that is... Yeah. I totally uh, empathise with that. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and Robert Patterson... Oh, anyway, we'll, we'll yeah. save all of this for when we get to tenant which yeah. which we are kind of it's it's building nicely and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and by the time we get to record a proper in-depth version uh podcast about tenant yeah. we will hopefully more people have been able to see it so they totally. can enjoy this podcast yep. and by then i'll have seen it 12 times at the cinema so <laughs> i will have seen it maybe twice maybe twice <laughs> i'm on a roll i'm on, i'm up to number 5 and <laughs> it, it's it's my happy place i was in the cinema by myself yesterday it was good <laughs> i was such a happy place. i was so annoyed <laughs> yesterday with work and some stuff going on and i then realised it was $14 ticket day Perfect. and I went down to the extreme screen yeah. at Moore Park and I was the only person in there and I bought three glasses of red wine and I sat right in the middle and you know what I had? Really good time. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 a real, it's a real statement about the state of the world and your life that your happy place is sitting alone in the cinema being... <laughs> By Tennant. (laughs) (laughs) Having your soul shook by the soundtrack. It was great. Good Lord. So this is interesting because I think we've left Nolan's blue phase, which was the Dark Knight Inception. They're very blue, hard, steel kind Mm -hmm. of movies. And now we're in the widescreen section of his career, which I would say goes from the Dark Knight Rises to to Tennant. Like they're widescreen films, aren't they? It's kind of interesting to say... You know, taking into account The Dark Knight and Inception, and these, but these next lot of movies feel like they're even bigger yeah, than they are. those. So, yeah, they are. Uh, it is also the moment where critical opinion begins to divide, and we start to see the first pushbacks against Nolan. Mm-hmm. So, right up until Inception, he's he's everybody's darling. Mm-hmm. But what's really interesting is for a movie that is eighty seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes and made over a billion dollars at the box office, why does this movie somehow still divide critics and fans alike? I was thinking about that on this rewatch and I, my thinking on this is, and we've talked about this a bunch, that the Batman story is inherently ludicrous and a fiction, right? I feel like there is a set of internal rules in Batman Begins and Dark Knight that remain consistent between the two movies. And then for me, it feels as though things get a lot more operatic and a lot more grand in the third one. And I think it can feel like the third movie is maybe levelling up beyond what the rules that were set in the first two. And it seems like, for me, I enjoy the third one more when I watch it as a grand metaphor. Right. And grand kind of like, I think if, as we've said, one and two are quite ludicrous, but if you kind of think it through, it's like, oh, I can kind of see how that could work. Whereas with three, I think you have to kind of make a bunch of conceptual leaps for you to buy that that could act, you know, that they're driving the nuclear bomb around in trucks. And th- I think there's just a lot going on in it. Right. And for me, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character and Matthew Modine's character shouldn't be in the movie. I feel like oh, they, really? I, yeah, I really feel like they unnecessarily bloat the movie. And I would rather more time with Bane. I'd rather more time with Bruce in the pit. I think that I think the pushback comes from there is just a lot going on, and it kind of deviates a little bit from 
the quote unquote reality of the first two. Right. That's interesting. Isn't but isn't Matthew Modine's character important to kind of show how the police force has devolved back into whatever it is now mm. compared to where it was to begin with and it, he's kind of the contrast to Gordon who is still vigilant but Modine is it feels like corruption is about to come back into the uh, yeah. into the uh, police force but also John Blake is the call to arms for mm. for Bruce to reconnect, reconnect with the world in 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 many ways and it's also the origin story of the new Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that, I think those are all really valid. I still think that there might have been cleaner, more elegant ways to get those ideas across. I guess, I think Modine's performance is kind of ham in a sea of very realistic performances. Right. And, like, you know, when he emerges with the white gloves at the end, I, I can't fucking stand it, man. <laughs> like, oh, really? Like, Come on, let's do it. Let's do it for Gotham. Um, well, he I, ends up dead, so you should be right. Yeah, I know. Like, I was glad when he fucking laid out on the... He's still a dick. Like, yeah. he sends his wife up. Gordon calls him out on that. You're sending your wife up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I, but I do think I do think that that's what the... That, it, well, it went, when, if I have any criticism about the film, that's what it is. Right. I don't like those two characters. Uh, I think that you could get those ideas across without kind of... Because they probably take up between them about 45 minutes of the running time. Well, that's an interesting thing to bring up, which is... So, I, I think there is a distinction between the three movies. Like, the mm. first film is very much a... Like, the ultimate superhero origin totally. film yep. and you know very much the blueprint for yep. marvel in those early yep. days and a little bit of a throwback to the donna superman oh yeah you know, and a complete a lot of yep you paying can, homage to the past but also looking forward yes a yep. complete uh, you can definitely see the through yep. line from donna superman yep. to to batman begins and then uh, the second film is of course a gangster film but the third film becomes this war film and so therefore you get a lot more characters and what I find really fascinating about this is it is the story of Gotham and you don't really get a lot of Batman which might be a Mm. thing that people get a bit frustrated with and this is I think I think part of the problem that people have is that ending something is really hard Mm. because everyone has their idea on how you should end it and if you do what people think, they're disappointed because yep. they thought of it. And if you do something that they don't think of, yep. then that's not what they wanted to have happen. Mm. And you, I think you start to get reappraisals further down the line. We were just talking before we started recording, which is it's really fascinating to 10 years after the ending mm. of Lost, there's suddenly this reappraisal of, actually, that's a really good ending. It actually is? Yeah. Yeah, right. Slowly. I, wow. Slowly. Because I know that happened with The Sopranos as well. Yes. Big time. Which is a great ending. Yeah. Like, it's a phenomenal ending. Yeah, yeah. But... but. <laughs> yeah. But I think that was also the start of trolling becoming a really prevalent part of social media. And so there was just a stacks on kind of approach to it. But, yeah, yeah, So yeah. I think trying to end something is really hard. And I also think... This movie points out whether you came to see Batman or if you're invested in Bruce Wayne. Yes. And because I'm invested in Bruce Wayne, yeah. the ending's great. And I really got to a point where I was like, I was 
like right at the end, I when he go when he's taking the bomb, the yeah. first time I saw it, yeah. I remember distinctly in the cinema going, oh, I don't really want him to die. <laughs> like I just didn't want him to die. It was do like, think, do you think he dies? No. Ah, see, I do. No, I don't think. No, he he makes it. You think so? Yeah, absolutely. Isn't that interesting that there can be that ending? Because my my interpretation of it is completely different. Mm. I think he does die. Right. And I think when Alfred sees him at the end, it is Alfred's realisation that he was actually wrong and that Bruce's path was always to be the vigilante of Gotham and die for the betterment of the city. Right. And so when he sees Bruce at the table... That's his, you know, external kind of, you know, whatever dream hallucination of realising, you no, know, Bruce is where he has to be. Oh, okay. He's actually where he always had to be, and I was wrong. Right. Uh, and that's the acceptance of Alfred's kind of, you know, not error, because obviously he cares about Bruce, and it's a beautiful scene where he walks away. Uh, but I think he knows in that moment at the end that he's wrong, and that Bruce did get evaporated with that bomb. Ah, uh, see, I'm not into that at all. Because <laughs> I, I really like Bruce, and I feel like Bruce becomes, and we'll get to it, but when he crawls out of the pit, he's a complete person. Mm. For the first time since that little boy fell down the well, yep. he's literally and metaphorically crawled up into the light, and he's now a proper person He mm-hmm. doesn't, who doesn't need the mask of Batman anymore mm-hmm. and I just think it's a really shitty ending if he then dies just as he works out that he's alright mm, yeah there's no reward for that like but he's what, done all but, the hard but what if the realisation was all like you know the, 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 the acceptance of his role and his role was always to be the great defender of Gotham you know and it's like instead of because he's been hiding in the shadows prior to the beginning of this film yes for seven seven years yes which is a little bit... Well, I, I, that, that's something that I want to talk about okay, a little sorry, bit sorry, later. No, 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 that's fine. Yep. Uh, I, I don't necessarily take it that he's been hiding for seven years. Mm. I, don't, like, I don't take that literally. Mm. I take it that... Like, I kind of feel he probably still did some Batman stuff for a while because they would have had to clean up after The Dark Knight mm. and he was doing it without the support of the police so he would have been doing it in the shadows and yeah, then he would sure. have segued into... Because... And here's my theory and why I think that. Yeah. In the third film, they've rebuilt Wayne Manor and he's got a bat cave down there. So he must have yeah, used it, right. which is not there in The Dark Knight. So yeah, he, must right. have, he must have had some stuff going on sure. that he was doing. And then he segued into... Howard Hughes, Bruce. Well, no, but it, it, I think before that, it's the... Oh, you know what? Finally, I'm going to uh, use my... Um, wealth the way I should have used it and and create something that will power Gotham. You know, we've got rid of the crime, everything's sorted. Now I'll start using my technology and my know-how in a better way. Yeah, sure. And then that then it's discovered that this new bit of technology can suddenly be weaponized. <laughs> and then he's like, Oh, well fuck, now what do I do? <laughs> I can't do anything right. Right, yeah. And then he and then he then he goes yeah, into sure. okay. hiding. So yeah. I I don't take it that as soon as he gets home from the Dark Knight, he says, I'm not going out again. I'm going to grow another beard. Like, they, they do say that the last time he was... Uh, uh, you're right, though. The last time he was publicly seen mm. was the night that Harvey Dent died. Right. I'd love to see the movie where he's sneaking around, not being seen by anyone. That'd right. be fucking great. Like, look, you know me. Yeah. I would love that as well. <laughs> you love that's, that's, the, that's the 10-series television show about right. that. This is, I'm, I'm the only person who thinks The Dark Knight Rises is too quick. <laughs> 
It does move at a fucking clip, I'll say that. Oh, yeah. I put it on the other night, you know, knowing full well, like two and a half hours. Right. Which is a fucking investment. Yes. Uh, to just lie there with the blood pulling in your bum. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was honestly, end credits before I even realised it. Suddenly we're at the end. And like, whoa, I was not even it's, it's, distracted or bored for a second. It, absolutely. Like it just mm. clip, 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 yes. just gets to each bit as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just does what it has to do. Yeah. So one article I read complained that this is Nolan's worst movie because it isn't about anything while attempting to be about a lot of things. Mm. Yet I feel the movie is definitively about when you can't achieve victory. Uh, you can't achieve a victory when you compromise your morals and any victory that is attained is at best a pyrrhic victory. Mm. So that's that's my reading of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm curious to know, what, what do you believe the movie is about? Um, I think there's a lot in that, right? You know, because they, they ostensibly have quote-unquote victory at the beginning of the film, but the main characters are, they're not having fun anymore. No. Like they're having quite a lark in the first two movies, Gordon well, and Bruce also, and Alfred. Yeah, especially at the start of The Dark Knight. Yeah. They're like, he's yeah, dressing yeah. up, he's going out, yeah, look at all these yeah, gadgets, yeah, yeah. we're taking down the mafia, this is great. Yeah, yeah. And then Rachel dies, and that's that's always been my argument, that it's a trilogy of two halves. The midpoint, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so while they've won, the, they've won the day, I guess, they know that it's built on a lie, and so there is no victory, really. I think that, 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 that I think that is what it is about. I mean, I also think, you know, there's a lot of kind of mini arcs going on in there and I, I to, to say that there's a lot going on but not it's not about anything is not true. Yeah. You know, I think you just have to kind of let it all wash over you because I think um, you know, that 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 speaks to me about the coming in thinking what it should be and when it's not that. Totally. You're saying, totally. well, this is not about anything. And yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. well, it is. It's yeah. about heaps of things. Yeah, 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 And all of them build on from the story that we've been following. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and you've said in the past that, um, you know, uh, this movie really works when you watch it as part of a trilogy, right. not as a standalone film. And I think there is a lot to that. I think um, there's, because there's so much going on in this movie, it's quite long. It does not let up. Uh, it, it can be easy to kind of lose track of the threads or not realise that uh, there is an arc to what's going on, um, especially if you watch one and two straight before it. Yeah, uh, yeah. even even the first one. I think you, you really need to remember why he's doing this and yeah. what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do wonder if there are people who saw the second film and loved it and then went and saw the third film and was like, who the fuck is, like, why is Liam Neeson <laughs> in this? Oh, cool. Well, yeah, what's going on with Ghost Neeson? <laughs> Uh, another complaint is that it doesn't make sense that Batman could be anyone because we see Bruce's rigorous training in order to be the fighter he becomes and that Blake would be dead within five minutes of taking on the mantle. Yet I see this as a contrary tape because nobody says that as soon as the movie ends, he's Batman. Mm. Like, it, mm. he doesn't go, oh, I'll just put this on and then and then he's out and about. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think... And I also think he's probably... We've seen... Like, what do you think happens to Blake after the credits roll? Before I start telling you, I think that he, thoughts. I think that he does become Batman, but I think it's very much like um, or Star Batman and Robin, the Grant Morrison series, where he's just a very different Batman. That's what I think. That's what he is. He's, you know, what he probably is. Yeah. He's probably, and we've 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 seen it throughout the film because we are watching his origin. Yeah. He shoots. He shoots those guys and he's disgusted by it yeah. and throws the gun away. That's yeah. part. That's an important aspect of yeah. Batman. But he's also, 
He's a detective. Yeah. Like, he's worked out that Bruce Wayne is yeah. Batman. He's worked out what's going on underneath. Mm-hmm. Like, there's that great point where Gordon says, you know, we're not, you're a detective now. You're not allowed to believe in coincidences uh, yes, or yes, whatever. Yes, yes, yes. So, I, I think he's probably going to be... I So, I picture him being Neil Adams' 70s Batman. Oh, really? So, you know 70s yeah, Batman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hairy chest, sexy Harry Batman. Ch- could also now and again have a criminal smash a bottle over his head. Yeah. So I kind of feel yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. what would happen. I yeah. also in in my little headspace because I have you ever <laughs> have you ever read and by the way like the, the the proper answer to this of of course not I'm a grown up and I have my own life. But have I ever shown you those <laughs> those fan fiction comedy shows that I did where I where I did a three part where I did a three-part follow-up to the Dark, uh, the Dark Knight trilogy. No, because I'm a grown-up and I have a life of my yeah. own. Well, <laughs> well, you can read them if you want. You know what? Let's stop and I'll read them out now. But but in that, I because that was a fun... Uh, did you ever see fan fiction comedy? There's a great New no. Zealand show. Great yeah, New right. Zealand show. And so I was on for three weeks. So oh. I thought I'll do a three-part thing. Perfect. And... Uh, I always thought that Alfred would go... Because I figure Lucius will get the money back because that's going to happen because they'll work out, oh, we've been... He's been robbed. So yeah, that money will be yeah. found and, and returned. And yeah. I think Alfred would go back and probably... Suddenly they're, they're helping uh, John Blake and Lucius is helping John Blake. Ah, and you're having yes, and you're having moments where Gordon is... Wondering why this one hasn't disappeared as soon as he stopped talking to him and stuff like that. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. you know, there's that great moment in in Batman and Robin, uh, the Morrison run, where Gordon just very casually says, oh, "My men like you better than him," and it's his way of saying, "I know you're not the guy that I normally do." Yeah, with. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how, and that's what I imagine that John Blake would be because you know, he, his his character has a lot more compassion yes. than Bruce does. Um, just from being the man on the streets for so long. Right. And he understands... He, he hasn't been in the castle the whole time looking over everything. He's been down in it. And so what he would lack in kind of training and maybe kind of that ninja efficiency that Bruce has, I think he would make up for in his detective skills and his just, you know, just compassion. as a yeah. human, Just humanity. He'd probably be a, a trickier Batman in yeah. some ways. Probably more of the darts, you know, the darts that are used in this. Probably yeah, taking yeah, people yeah. down from Yeah, afar. and I think more smiley as well. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, they do call him, you know, his real name is Robin. Yeah. And so it's like I kind of... There's a part of me, as someone who is a fan of the Dick Grayson character, yeah. like uh, I kind of feel like, oh, well, you would have been nice if you just kind of made him Dick Grayson, but I understand why you don't, because then you don't get that reveal at the yeah, end, so you have to kind of make him John Blake. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if another issue people have with this film is that they can't comprehend Bruce Wayne not wanting to be Batman. Also, seeing a hyper-masculine character depressed is possibly not how people want to see this character. <laughs> how does this sit with you? Um, oh, look, I, I, look, my preference, my, my preferred uh, version of Batman is that Bruce is the mask and Batman is the real guy, but that's because I was raised on the Batman animated series. Right. I think everyone wants the Batman that's their Batman. Yes. So, but, you know, like I, I, what I love about it, and the fact is the character wouldn't be around for fucking 80 years or however long it's been if there wasn't different iterations of it. And so I'm all up for any version of the character as long as it's internally consistent. Well, Um, And him not wanting to be the guy. The only issue I have with the way the movie approaches it is that 
I feel like he's not been Batman for too long. I think seven or eight years for me right. doesn't work chron- chronologically because it's like, well, you trained for seven years. How much time was there between Batman Begins and Dark Knight? Probably not that long because it ended with the Joker card being revealed. So yep. say it's a year. How long were you Batman for? Maybe like a year and a half, two years. Yeah. So that that's the only part that... and But that's fine. I just have to... Breeze over that, that when it happens, but that was also the thing to me that says that like that fits in with what I was saying before. That I figure he was still doing things for a while, yeah. But he couldn't he he couldn't go to the police, mm. and Gordon probably knew he was doing things, and yeah, right, yeah. That that that, that it's such a negligible thing; it doesn't even matter. Yeah. But um, in terms of him giving up being Batman and, and being a recluse. No, it's fine. It's, it's, a, it's a great take on the character. Uh, I think the burden of the cow. Right. You know, why, you know. It actually says healthier things about the character that he doesn't want to be that well, guy. This is, <laughs> the, well, this is, the, the funny thing is, is that this is the reason that this is actually my favourite iteration of Batman in anything because I legitimately like the character of Bruce Wayne mm. in this and I get him and that's what I mean like towards the end when I was like seeing it for the first time mm. I was like I don't want this guy to die I like mm. this guy yeah 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 I think this movie works if you've been coming to see the story of Bruce Wayne and part of that story is Batman in the first movie Rachel rejects him because she believes Bruce Wayne is the mask and uh oh little diversion for you mm. I told you I was going to tell you my three favourite moments in the movies. Oh, please. And they are all when Batman leaps. So it's Batman Begins, <laughs> it's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defies me, yeah, you know. great. Bruce, Bruce and then, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, in The Dark Knight, it's the moment where, Gore, where he says, you know, I need five minutes alone. And Gordon's doing the, we have to save Dan. I, I have, have to, to save Dan. Dan. And then he leaps and goes, yes. <laughs> and then in this, it's the embracing of fear that he has to... That he has to engage with right. to become whole, and I, and so the leap in this movie, yeah. he has to make the leap, yeah, like he has to. Yeah. So because otherwise the movie ends very differently. So yeah. there's no, but I don't watch that scene as is he going to make it. I watch that as because I'm in, uh, I'm into the Bruce character. Yeah. It's like here he goes, he makes the leap, and then as he crawls out. It's the most heroic shot of the movie. And yeah. he's not Batman. He's Bruce Wayne. Yeah. He's he's at the top of the pit. He no longer needs the mask. He's a complete uh, person. It began with him as a child falling down a well. Now he climbs out. Yeah. And so, are you engaged with Bruce Wayne? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Of course. And, that, and you know, uh, back to what I was saying before about um, how this movie works best for me when I think of it in terms of mythology and grand metaphor yes. and opera and all the rest. Like... You know, that sequence in the pit, I mean, he doesn't even need to f- physically be in a pit climbing, you know, because I've heard people, oh, there's no way he'd make that jump, his spine's broken, and it's like, ah, oh, like, same way gravity doesn't need to actually be happening. It can just be happening in her head. Right. Uh, I, I do think in the context of the movie, he is in the pit. Yes. But what the metaphor of him literally climbing out of a pit... Yes. And rediscovering himself is, you know, that's a, a very powerful metaphor, very powerful imagery. Um, and it doesn't need to be literally true or literally real world accurate for it to have resonance and for it to be true. Yeah, I love, that's one of my favourite complaints. Oh, as if he'd be able to make that leap after hurting his back. It's like, he dresses up as a bat. <laughs> like, don't be watching this 
for none yeah, of this yeah, is yeah. realistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's dead on his first trip. Yeah. Like, he's probably shot dead the first time he goes stealing. <laughs> or he's probably thrown overboard from being a stowaway on a boat. Yeah. But I'm Bruce Wayne. We don't care who you are. <laughs> I guess they, they sing sea shanties and throw them over. <laughs> That's a, one of my, I think one of my favourite Batman moments ever is in year one when he first uh, comes out and gets oh. those guys still in the TV. Yes. And he miscalculates and one of them smacks him on the head. And yes. it's like, you know, he comes close to dropping the guy and he comes close to dying. Yes. And it's just him lying there panting, just going, lucky, lucky, lucky amateur. amateur. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's great. Uh, when the first, while the first film deals with the threat of terrorism and the second movie deals with surveillance, uh, essentially impinging upon civil liberties, the third film engages with the idea that a morally compromised victory is dangerous to ignore. Do you think this is a less appealing idea for people to connect with, especially in America, considering this movie came out after the government had claimed victory in the Middle East? I'm so sorry, you have to repeat the question. Oh, did, <laughs> sorry, I, did yeah. I? Yeah, you just went a bit too fast. Oh, sorry. yeah, so... Oh, okay. So I'll say that again. Just maybe do a clap so you can splice that splice. I'm not going to. I'm not going to edit oh, this. Okay, right. I don't, uh, I'm just going right, to do right. it again. Okay, go. So people can enjoy this. All right, go. So the first film dealt with the threat of terrorism. The uh-huh. second deals with surveillance. Yes. This movie deals with the idea that a morally compromised victory is dangerous to ignore, and I wonder if this is a, a less appealing idea for people to connect with, 100%. especially in America, yep. after their government claimed victory in the Middle East. Hundred percent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Uh, th- th- this that th- th- that that concept goes against so much of what, well, prior to the last couple of years, that America, you know, really founded its ideals on this. You know, mm. where the where the the morally incorruptible force in the world, where the indispensable nation and all this stuff. Um, and I think a lot of the reason that America is collapsing under the weight of its own fucking sin at the moment is because these people are realizing what a lot of us realize in our early twenties of like, Oh, you know what? Like it's all spin and it's yeah. all, it's all fables. Like none of it is really true. There's no black and white. Things are morally complex and gray and all this stuff. And I think that, um, you know, the myth of America being exposed like that is causing a lot of this, well, fucking tear it all down then. You know, I believed this thing for so long. So to see that reaction to that in the main, uh, it doesn't surprise me that people blanched against this movie eight years ago when it came out, you know, that yep. uh, don't tell us that, you know, things are morally complex. Yep. Things are right or wrong. That's the only way they are. And We're then, right, they're wrong. And then cut to now and it's like, oh... Okay, well, maybe you were onto something there. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's fascinating. I've often thought that America's greatest victory wasn't uh, any wars. It was Planet Hollywood. It was Absolutely. movies. It Absolutely. was the culture that they permeated yep. the world with. Yep. And if anything, if they want to keep their spot in the sun, they should be pumping as much money into Hollywood as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. There's a great Grant Morrison quote where he goes, um, America was the only nation that conquered the world through light. You know, talking about the flickering of the cinema yes. screen, and it's so true. the The idea and the myth of America, um, I think, has had more to do with their sense of manifest destiny and you know USA, all that stuff, than pretty much anything. You know, it, it, like even when you when when they talk about you know the their founding fathers and the presidents and all this stuff, it's with this air of you know royalty. You know, don't forget they were public servants. 
that were elected to do, a, you know, an admin job. Like, they're yeah. not these, you know, carve their face into the side of a mountain, you know. It's, it's, it's a very strange thing in America where they kind of uh, talk about how they're, you know, a democratic nation and all this stuff. But, you know, they really treat their leaders like kings. Mm. Um, there's this real kind of uh, reverence that goes far beyond, um, I think, what that job really deserves. Um, and it's... And really unhealthy as well. It's really unhealthy. And I think, yeah, as I said, I think that that's what's causing a lot of the um, the distress now is mm. that, that, oh, the American dream was just a dream. You know, you were never going to become a billionaire. That doesn't really happen to very many people. Well, you're seeing that with uh, <laughs> things like Black Lives Matter as well, where mm. in many ways it's like, oh, sorry, didn't wasn't the, the Civil War for that in many ways in the past or hang on sorry i thought you fixed that in the 60s and it's like no this has mm-hmm. still been going mm-hmm. still been bubbling along yep. this is a, a movie that is very much a story of people haunted by their decisions alfred in burning rachel's note oh. bruce in rachel's death gordon in covering up dense crimes selena in her past actions there is an inherent sadness in this movie mm. and it's it's kind of what you usually find in the middle part of a trilogy. The yeah. sadness is usually in a, in that Empire Strikes Back yeah. kind of zone, not the finale. Do you think the melancholic feeling robs the movie of some of its agency for the viewer? Um, yeah, if you go in there expecting, you know, a rollicking, you know, adventure story, yeah. Uh, I don't think most people go into a superhero movie uh, looking for you know, complex emotional depth or anything like that. I think there's an idea of what it's going to be. Again, I think it always just... Every criticism of this movie goes back to, I think, what people expected it to be or what they thought they were going into. And it's a lot more... um, There's a lot more to it than that. And so, yeah, I think seeing Bruce Wayne with a beard hobbling around on a cane really sad about a chick that died one movie ago, you know, that maybe most people didn't see right before they saw this one... Is jarring, and it, for me, it doesn't take any agency away. No, I like that shit. But, yeah, um, yeah, I can see how a mainstream audience, which is which, which seems to be a lot of the the backlash against later, not what you call the widescreen phase mm. in general. There's a lot of kind of melancholy in there, mm. uh, which is not what you see in blockbuster movies. No, you really don't. No, no, it's funny, isn't it? There's a melancholy to Interstellar, of course, Fuck and. Yeah. Dunkirk is a story yeah. about victory and defeat. Yeah. And, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I've said this before, uh, but I'll bring it up now because I feel like it's... Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
it's more pertinent <laughs> actually this time, even though I've been banging on about it for a while. Uh, the Joker not even being mentioned speaks volumes about right. this movie. Nolan made the decision because he didn't want to trade on Ledger's name after the actor's untimely death. But because of that absence, I can see Nolan's emotion about Ledger permeated throughout the movie. Mm. How do you reconcile the lack of Joker to the trilogy from a storytelling point of view? Um, I think that the Joker... In a weird way, I feel like the Joker would be diminished if he was in this movie. I think he's so emblematic of the themes of the second film. And the themes of the third film are so their own. You know, we've leveled up, as you said, from surveillance to, you know, class and war and, you know, this very operatic tone of the third movie. Um, I don't know, like... It would almost be like, I, I feel like, I mean, I'm sure they would have figured out a way to use him in a way that didn't feel like this, but I think if he did show up, it would very much be in danger of falling into the fan service category. Right. Of like, oh, we loved him so much, we've got to have one more go with this guy. Whereas he, he I, I feel like his arc is completed at the end. Um, I think the only the only reason it's a little bit diminished with him not being in the third one is the promise of we will be doing this forever forever at, in, at the end of the second one and and also the the knowledge as a Batman fan of what that means mm. and the history of that and like yeah that you will be doing this forever you just back and forth um, so to know that basically Batman you know within the universe retired at the end of the second one and has not had another encounter with the Joker as far as we know I think that's the only thing that's a little Disappointing, but that's only within the context of knowing the entire spectrum of the story of right. Batman. In this story, this self-contained trilogy, I think it's perfect that he uh, is contained in the second one. It's a pretty good thing that they didn't recast. Oh, can you imagine Jared Leto's Joker showing up in? <laughs> oh. oh, any of I'm them? Crazy. Any of them? Yeah. A Tale of Two Cities is quoted at the end of the movie, which is a story about two men who look nearly identical but lead very different lives. Charles Darnay is the nobleman who is troubled by his family's abuse of the peasantry who leaves France to become a teacher in England. Sidney Carton is an alcoholic lawyer who claims he doesn't care about life. Yet in the end, Sidney swaps places with Charles so he can return to the safety of England and in turn, Sidney finds honour in his final actions. While watching this movie, and I was convinced that Bruce was going to die, but in the end it was Batman who died so Bruce could live. Mm. And you are not, you are convinced that he dies. I'm not convinced of anything. I just like... That's, that's your thought. Well, that was my thought on this watch. Right. Oh, on, right. Okay, yeah, I see what all. you mean. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. no I, I, like, I, you know me. I don't have any definitive ideas on any movie. <laughs> I, like, yeah. I, I like going in going, oh, this time I felt it said this. And the next time I watch it, it could be something else. But the, the last when I watched it, you know, I put it on at 11.30 the other night. And so by the time it was over, it was nearly two. Uh, and that was the feeling I had the, yeah. that this time. It was like, oh, no, I think he's dead. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, it's not so much that he embraced being Batman, but just that he embraced his role as, you know... Like, I love that line where he says, um, where she says to him, uh, Catwoman says to him, um, you've given him everything. Or, or oh, whatever yeah. she says, you know, you've, you've, you've given them enough. And he's like, not enough, yeah, not, not everything, yet. not yet. Yeah. And like that to me is like, this, that, that's Bruce talking. That's not Batman talking. Right. That's Bruce going like, no, I can give, you know, I can save them. Um, 
And so that, that, that for me this time was just that, that he's, that, that he's embraced his role as the saviour of the city in all aspects, not just financial, but in giving his life and taking the bomb out of there as well. Right. It's uh, interesting the, the way A Tale of Two Cities is kind of reflected throughout the uh, movie. That's, that's why uh, finding that little bit of info, because I, oh God, I read A Tale of Two Cities so long ago, mm. it's almost like borderline. It was so many decades ago, it's almost borderline. You've never I, read it. I've never read yeah. it. <laughs> you know? I've um, with so many books and movies. Like, I, yeah, know. T- I know my eyes technically saw well, that I, at one point in I time. I know. I know I read that. <laughs> uh, also, in A Tale of Two Cities, a handwritten, uh, handwritten letters play a big part. Uh, so, the letter where Gordon... And so, in this, we get the letter where Gordon confesses and the letter that Alfred burns... And the Dark Knight ended with the message that sometimes the truth has to be kept secret for the greater good. Yet here we realise the lack of truth made things considerably worse for Gotham and Bruce. Mm. Now, what do you think of that as a message for a final movie? It's, uh, it's, there's a real statement to that, isn't there? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think, uh, you know, especially when you think about when this was made, I think that that message definitely has a huge amount of resonance. Um, you know, off the back of Iraq and all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really interesting that there was so much kind of talk and knowledge of uh, lies and how destructive they are and mistruths and everything. And um, it did seem for a little while in that kind of early 20-teens period that maybe, you know, truth was going to win out in some sense. And it's amazing to me that it's gone completely in the other direction where it's like... Oh, you know, you no longer even need to hide that you're lying. You just lie mm. and just keep banging on about the lie, and the lie just becomes true because, like a child, you stick your fingers in your ears and insist that it's the truth. It's I think, unbelievable. I think also people are exhausted, yeah, and so it's no, nobody really wants to keep pushing back against this yeah. stuff, and yeah. so yeah. It, it becomes almost yeah, 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 yeah. All right, well, if that's your truth, fine. Yeah, it's, it's like a. I'm just going to dismiss it because there's just so much awfulness going on. Yeah, it's insane making. It's like trying to argue with a five-year-old. You can't actually win. No. Because, you know, you can make the greatest point in the world, but if they call you a dumb poo-poo head, well, there's not a lot you can... (laughs) There's not a lot of ways you can reply to that. (laughs) That's why we've got to bring back physical violence towards kids. No, I hope hope someone wasn't quite listening properly for a moment then and then just heard that (laughs) bit and went, What? Uh, I've never been a fan of Bane in the comics. No, nah, neither. It's a yeah. bit too early 90s, mid-90s for me. Yeah, I yeah. am exactly the, the same. The roided-up fucking um, yeah. Rob Liefeld kind of stuff. Uh, I'm just not into it, but yeah. I love him in this. Yeah. and I, I'm, So I'm a bit curious. Why do you think people don't make enough of a fuss about the plane being stolen? Like, it's a plane. It's a great, it's a great sequence. It's so good. It's fantastic. Like, what, you mean uh, people watching the movie or people within the movie? Oh, oh no no no! People, people like, watching the movie. like people never it's it's yeah. never brought up, and it's like yeah. like even when you saw the real footage of it, it's it's a, it's a real plane. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Why are we like we should be clapping that? Yeah, it's so strange. You almost wonder if people are so used to seeing spectacle that most people kind of just went, "Oh, that's a special effect," and didn't even consider that it actually is happening. Mm. You know, I wonder if um, you know uh, people are just take it for granted that it's a CG model and it's being torn. And that one looks really real, but it's just a special effect. Um, I think for us, knowing Nolan as we know him, knowing that it's all, you know, predominantly happening in camera, 
Um, like, you know, in Interstellar, when he goes behind the bookshelf into mm. the quantum world, I thought that was all CG. I had no idea that oh, that was right. a set. Yeah. Uh, and it was only after realizing that it's known that's him on wires in some crazy set that I, you know, reassessed the scene and really reappreciated it. Right. So that, that's the only thing I can think is that people just think that it's a CGI plane. I like to think that Nolan actually created a five-dimensional uh, <laughs> place just for the movie. He literally threw uh, McConaughey <laughs> into a black hole. Yeah. Let's see what happens. <laughs> I've, I, I don't... I'm, I'm not a Tom Cruise fan, but I do... Like, I, the, the Mission Impossible movies are best. movies that I really enjoy. And because he's insane, and Nolan likes to do everything practically, there's a part of me that's like, yeah. Jesus, like, yeah. like that could be the movie where everything goes pear-shaped because, <laughs> you know, they have a storyline where they have to fly around the sun and Tom Cruise is like, I'll do it. And, <laughs> and Nolan's like, well, let's get the cameras on a, on a, on a shuttle and, and film it. I want to be the first man to walk on the sun. <laughs> <laughs> he could do it as well, you know that. All that oh, yeah. Xenu energy would protect him. That Xeno energy is the best. Uh, I th- what I, one of the things I like about Bang for this is he's uh, working underneath Gotham is a metaphor for what was eating away at America post-Iraq. Mm, yes, very good. So he's he's physically the that's what's wrong. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the 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 menace and the poison just under the surface of respectable society. And, yeah, and absolutely. People, people not believing it's there, like because yeah, Gordon. Gordon says there's stuff going on there, and Modine's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's that 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 what you just said. That really feeds into my the way I really enjoy this movie in terms of watching it as metaphor. Because yeah. again, I think th- that's one of those things that gets heavily criticised. You know, the oh, as if they wouldn't notice what's going on underground. And I got to say, I do kind of blanch when Modine dismisses. He's the fucking commissioner of the police. Come on, he fell down the manhole. Like he's saying what happened. Like just send a guy down there. Like that kind of like, eh, you're crazy, is a little bit of a long bow for me. Well, I just think he's, I think they're just dismissive of Gordon because he's been spending all these and he's years, uh, like they keep saying he's a war commissioner and these mm. are peace times, mm. but he's still, like they make that comment really early on about That's how true. his wife and kids have left him and he just still goes and stands on the, like he kind of, <laughs> like he's a lost long lover. Like he's just standing, yeah, yeah, yeah. hoping that Batman's going to come back and he's feeling awful about yeah, he's everything. he's kept the smashed out bat light so, since they're stroking it. So yeah, when he true. starts saying that kind of stuff and he's been, he's been shot and he's had some, he's just had a traumatic experience. Yeah. They're a little bit like, oh, here we go. Yeah, he's like, yeah, here yeah, we yeah. Go, no, mate. there is, there, there is something to that. But I, uh, but I think that what, what, what you just said about the, 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 the crime under the surface and everything, that mm. is really, really good. And that makes me appreciate that whole part of the story so much more. Author Sarah Bennett, who uh, lives in the UK, and she writes to uh, us via the, our, our Facebook page. Hi, and so she's a she's a, a, a new online friend. She's great. And she wrote to me after watching the trilogy and pointed mm-hmm. out... And by the way, she got sick and tired of hearing Will and I bang on about it and then she watched the trilogy and loved it and I was like oh thank goodness we didn't bang on too much (laughs) ruin it completely Um, but she wrote to me and pointed out that while Bruce needs to learn how to discard the mask to live Bane is literally alive because the mask pumps drugs into him Mm -hmm. to hold back the pain Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so what other reflections do you see between Batman and Bane? hmm They definitely are both 
well, definitely uh, up until a certain point in the third movie, kind of uh, monomaniacally focused mm. on their on their mission. Uh, they're both uh, somewhat detached from uh, what well, maybe a wider consensus reality. They're very much fixated on their own goal and their own mission. Um, I'm not sure. No parents. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're both. Um, you know, one is a poor. Uh, you know, like, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? They're both orphans, but one's like the rich version, one's the poor version. In right. many ways, you should be kind of on Bane's side, you yeah. know, because he's, he's the more relatable guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, so that's interesting. Uh, you know, very good at fighting. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, they're, they're kind of, as I said, it's, it, I was just, sorry, I kind of just thinking about how much I really can't get into the character in comics. And every time he turns up in comics, oh, yeah. I just, it, so I was a, I was a little bit like Bane mm. when they were bringing yeah, him back definitely. and I was, and uh, when they were bringing him into this movie and I was yeah. like, oh, okay. And then it was like, oh no, this is, yeah. this is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the, the, the Bane in the comics, uh, his plan is great in that Nightfall Right. Oh, like, yeah. You know, busting all the crims out of yes. Arkham, putting ba- Batman through a 30 day ordeal, weakening him before coming and smashing the shit out of him. Right. Like, I think that's all great. But yeah, that whole, that whole roided up, you know, um, Rob Liefeld uh, image comics kind of design is uh, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think you and I have always gravitated more towards the kind of um, pop crime aspect of Batman. Right. You know, right. The, um, yeah, this, this kind of mercenary guy doesn't really fit into the rogues gallery. Right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I think you, you summed it up with the Leefield yeah. comment. Yeah, yeah, that's what it feels like. <laughs> what lessons in the real world should we take from Bane and Talia's call for revolution <laughs> when we all know they're acting upon his revenge? Fuck. That, that makes you, like, you Fuck. know, watching it now with the, the context of the real world and you're going, geez, everyone keeps calling for stuff, but... Don't know, like even when they're saying things that uh, seem fair enough, you're like, yeah, but your motivation is pretty iffy. Well, and all, it, it's not just motivation. I watched the um, the Errol Morris Steve Bannon documentary mm-hmm. uh, last week, which caused a lot of issues because people were like, oh, you're giving him a platform. It's like, no, he's not. He's just interviewing a guy who's very consequential in the history of the world right now, right. And isn't it good to understand these people, or try and understand these people? Right. Uh, and the thing that I just kept coming back to while watching this is like, yeah, cool, tear it all down. But mm. what, what are you fucking replacing it with? You don't even have a clear idea of what will be the thing that takes over from this corrupt system. And, you know, and I think the message that's resonated with the fans of Bannon and Trump, and also the message that, resonates with Bane in this movie is yes the system is corrupt there right. is corruption there right. is that you know these these politicians are awful you know um Trump would not have become the president and would not appeal to so many people if there wasn't a grain of truth in some of what he's saying just because Trump is the worst fucking person in the world yeah. doesn't mean that Hillary Clinton is the best person in the world. Right. It doesn't. It, no. She's also got a lot of fucking issues. And I think when he st- put his flag in the sand and said, you know, corrupt Hillary, da 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 uh, you know, the establishment decided instead of 
critiquing her in a honest and way, it became like, no, 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 she's the best, she's the best. And so all of a sudden it becomes or, this binary choice. Yeah, or she's the worst. She's the worst. So was, she's either the worst or the best. And yeah. it's like, again, it goes back to that black-white, right-wrong mentality that is fucking tearing everything to pieces yeah. now. Um, no, it's morally complex. Um, and, yeah, I just feel like, the, 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 the as we were saying before, the reason this resonates so much more is, yes, the system is corrupt, and maybe it should be torn down, mm. but not just replaced with fucking chaos right. and anarchy and hate and fear and all these awful things. Yeah. Um, you know, and and Bane really had the stink of Bannon and Trump all over him. Yeah. You know, ha ha ha, tear it all down. I'm giving it back to you, the people, while in the back of his brain knowing full well, oh, in three months I'm just going to fucking nuke you anyway. So yeah. have fun fucking drinking each other's blood, motherfuckers. <laughs> and that, it really feels like that's really what's happening now. Yeah. Um, like you guys are nihilists. You have no plan... You know, you are the elite, you are the establishment. Yeah, and you, you don't know, have to answer to anyone. No, and you've yeah. hijacked, you know, uh, the the very real world fears and anxieties of, you know, a lot of people who are now, you know, basically becoming a fucking militia. It's terrifying. It, it, it does also make you wonder, is there any way that you can have a revolution without having innocent people be taken down alongside the guilty? No. I don't know. No, I think once you've got once you've got a panel of people on either, you know, left, right, whatever, progressive, conservative, as soon as you've got a group of people saying, you know, delineating between the evil wrong people and the righteous angelic, you know, good people, it, it's a recipe for fucking disaster. Yeah. You know, you had left-wing revolution in China. Well, guess what? A whole bunch of philosophers and artists got bullet in the head. Right. You know, and right, any kind of like hardcore ideology on either side is a recipe for disaster, I think. <sighs> All right, I'm going to ask a nice question. Yep, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, it is, but it, this is what the movie deals with. Yeah. And, this is, and, 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 th- and this is what I find fascinating that... W- like going through and doing all this research, it is a really popular movie, and it and it did really well. And then there, and then finding the criticisms and what they are, mm. and I do think it does tap into a lot of things that make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, and I and I, and I do think that uh, that this this one of all of Nolan's films will probably be reassessed and re-critiqued in the light of where the world is now. Mm. I think it's a lot more prophetic uh, than. Than, than people give it credit for, credit for. <laughs> and a lot yeah. more reflective of now than then. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of my favourite scenes in the movie is the ball where the only two people not wearing masks are Bruce and Miranda who are both pretending to be someone else yeah, in plain yes. sight. What do you think of the Miranda Tate character? Um, I think she's good. I could have maybe done with a bit more with her, I think. Yep. Um, that's all. And I, I guess that then cycles back to my... Um, my kind of criticism of the Matthew Modine and Joseph Gordon-Levitt character. We spend, I think, more time with them, really, than we do with Miranda Tate. Mm. And so I think... I wonder, because she was... Uh, Nolan was really keen to have her in the role, and I've got this in the squid bits a little bit later on, and I think she was pregnant, like she's pregnant ah, in some of right. the scenes, so I wonder if they're... And he accommodated her as much as he possibly could. Sure. So I wonder if we do lose a little bit. But this also gets back to my criticism of the movie that it's like it could have gone for another two hours yeah 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 yeah. that's the thing it's either it's either like too 
long and bloated or too short in a weird way. Yeah. Like it's um It's too short. Yeah, I think I feel like I could have done with a lot more of her and I think uh if we'd had more of her and maybe you know her kind of because uh, we get that idea that she's somewhat healing Bruce in his grief for mm. Rachel. I think if we'd spent more time with that, mm. A, we could have just, just yeah. slowed down for a few minutes. Let's right. just have some time with these characters. Not, not necessarily thrusting the plot along, but just marinate in some healing time. Mm. I think the literal knife that she shoves in him at the end mm. would have had a lot more resonance right. if we'd really had some time to believe that they were falling in love, that, you know, she was going to be the next chapter in his life. Um, I have to be honest, I didn't see that coming the first time I saw it. Really? Yeah. The, I don't know, I don't remember. I don't think I did either. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, as a character, she's fine. Yeah. yeah. This, uh, this movie's full of orphans mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, so you got Bruce, oh, that's... Uh, you know, Blake is an orphan. Yep. Talia, uh, all the kids. Yeah, Bane. Bane. Uh, do you reckon Selena Kyle might be another orphan as well from her actions? Yeah, and if she's not, she's uh, she seems to be taking that young lady under her wing. Yeah. Uh, and I know from the comics that that character is quite m- a lot younger in the comics, yeah. and so she's probably an orphan. It feels like it, doesn't yeah. it? There's a, yeah. there's a mirroring there. I yeah. think Anne Hathaway's really underrated oh, she's great movie. she's great uh you know from her reveal as the cat burglar yeah. you know when she's like oops yeah. you know like yeah. that whole scene yeah. is great and but my favorite scene is when she's taking out the guys in the bar and then when the police screaming run in, she starts screaming <laughs> and then she looks and checks and even when she's leaving that room and she sees blake oh she's suddenly a bit weak against the wall yeah yeah yeah, yeah is yeah. there any particular scene that stands out for you I, that, that one you just said i love because it's um it's arch without being arch, if you know what I mean. Mm. Like it's um, there's a lot of um, a lesser actor wouldn't have the, the the changes in expression would have been a lot more obvious. Whereas yeah. I think she just snaps in and out, and it's true performance. It's yeah. performance within the performance that yeah. she's doing. It's great. Yeah, it's really smooth yeah. from uh, each transition. Yeah. Uh, do you feel cheated that Selena is the one that blows Bane away? Nah, I love shit. it. Yeah, it's, it's great. A, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'm just really not into your aversion to guns if she's just sent Bane 60 metres across the room. I love it too. Uh, I, so, I think Gordon's story is just as compelling through the three movies. And yep. the moment he snaps back at Blake about having a friend who can plunge his hands in the filth shows you how broken Gordon is. I feel like Gary Oldman's acting in that point. Yeah, is he's like, great. Oh, so good. Yep. Is there any uh, anything that stands out for you about Jim and his journey in this i do i do love the realization that he has right at the end mm. like bruce wayne yeah you know it's like that that seems to be the full circle for him as well you that's know? such a great moment yeah. it's, it's such a good you know uh hero can be anyone who uh you know just putting a jacket around it's like oh, yeah great that i oh, fucking <laughs> i could have i could have cartwheeled out of the cinema the first time <laughs> i saw that but then i wouldn't have seen the rest of the movie <laughs> Uh, it's interesting that Bruce rejects the father figure in Alfred and then finds a new father figure in Tom Conti's character mm. in the jail. Uh, is there enough Alfred in this movie or is it kind of smart to take him out of the action once the movie, uh, once the city is overrun? Yeah, I mean, what, what could he really be doing in, uh, in all that chaos? Well, I don't, I don't uh, want anything to happen to Alfred yeah. either. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really want to see him on the run. Yeah, or getting, you know, a bullet in the back of the head oh, or something. Can no. you imagine? Oh, uh, God, that would be <laughs> awful, wouldn't it? I think I they mean, killed... Al- I think Tom King killed Alfred in the comics, and I was just like... Oh, know, really? I don't know. Just you don't, don't kill Alfred. Don't kill Alfred. Yeah, no, come on. There's certain... There's certain um, 
taboos that can't be broken in the comics yeah. world. Um, no, I think I, look, I think um, I think Alfred plays the role that he has to play in this movie, and too much more of him, you know, masterpiece, <laughs> like getting all emotional, be like, yeah, all right, we got it, we got it. You don't want him to do it. I think it would have just been nagging and annoying with him kind of uh, showing up every five minutes to waggle his finger. Right. <laughs> uh, is there is there enough Batman in the movie for you? Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. I'm fine with it as yeah, well. it's fine. Uh, the plane being attacked, the raid on Wall Street, Batman's first scene on the Batpod, the fight without any soundtrack, Gotham being attacked, Batman returning to fight uh, in front of Blake, you know that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the second fight with Bane, all of this stuff. There's so many great action scenes. Is there? Do you have a particular favorite? Oh, uh, anytime the bat, it's. I feel like a little kid when that bat wing is oh, going yeah. around, especially the first time. Um, and you know, I think that chase at the end is probably my favorite. It's great. The, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Uh, just a few more questions to finish up, and we'll. We've had some pretty serious talk here, so this will be fun. Uh, so, getting back to a little bit what we were talking about earlier, if Ledger had lived, how do you think the Joker would have been incorporated into the film? And, um, and is it is it this film? Is it this film to have him in? Is, well, does does the movie become something completely different if yeah, the Joker's yeah, still yeah. alive? Um, uh, well, Ledger's still alive, I should say. I don't know. Because, I mean, I, it, I feel like if the Joker was in this one, it would have to be completely different. I don't think mm. he fits in this story. Because I, I, I think... Maybe you said it, or I read it somewhere, that maybe if he was in this, he could have been what Cillian Murphy is, the judge, right. uh, at the show well, trials. That's, that's not enough. It's not enough. And, and also, he wouldn't... He wouldn't... Th- th- that's not that's fitting not, him in the character. No, oh, it's perfect for Scarecrow. Yeah, it's perfect for Scarecrow, like but Joker wouldn't, you know... Cillian Murphy's, you know, he's judging it. Crane's judging everyone throughout yeah. the film, like even in the second film, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. yeah. I think that the the, the 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 Nolan's depiction of the Joker character being the personification of chaos uh, doesn't fit in this because the the plan that's being um, executed is so methodical and clockwork mm. that to throw this kind of agent of chaos in that doesn't give a shit about you know Bane's plan or anything mm. other than you know getting Batman back on the scene so they can do their games with each other. Um, I don't think he fits in this one, and I think it would have to be a completely different film. I wonder... Uh, I think I've got some squid bits coming up about this uh, a little bit later, but the I wonder if... The only way I could have seen it is him running around doing things that are driving <laughs> the League of Shadows insane while Bruce is gone. So mm-hmm. in a weird way, the Joker is... He's kind of doing things that is almost accidentally heroic, but it's only because he despises these people and thinks they're full of shit as Wouldn't well. Wouldn't it be great if he was running around dressed up in a Batman cape? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that would have been great. Imagine that. that great. You know, uh, I would have taken that. that sure. You see him from behind and yeah. you go, you know, Batman, and then he turns around and it's, it's like, that's good. I always liked, um, in, in Grant Morrison's run, I liked his character, uh, Oberon Sexton, the grave digger. Oh, when yeah, he of went course. and started fighting crime for a while. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. that was just like, oh, well, this is something new to do. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's, it's that weird thing. Like, the Joker is like, you know, it's like the, the, the shark in Jaws or something. Right. You know, I think... That's better good, good be- way of looking at it. Better to want more than yes. get too much, yeah, no, I feel. I agree. And I feel like, you know, I'm... 
that final shot in Dark Knight of him hanging upside down laughing and then that weird beat of acting where he's like ah, ha, ha, and then he just starts grimacing going, I don't know if you yeah, remember yeah. it it's so bizarre yeah that's fine I don't need to see him ever again yeah <laughs> we're, we're done yeah so good um <laughs> Is this just a remake of Rocky Three with Batman as Rocky and Bane as Mr. T? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Rocky Three. Oh, okay. Oh, well, maybe we should do the Rocky movies. That'll be fun. I, I, you know what? I only saw Rocky for the first time this year. Oh, really? And it is beautiful. Oh, yeah. It's a love story. I had with no a, idea. With, with a touch of boxing. Dude, I had no idea. Yeah. I thought it was just the same as Saturday Night Fever. I was like, oh, all right, I'll watch yeah. it because I know I have to. But yeah. my God, what a beautiful movie. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that could be an interesting. That could be a pretty funny. The Rocky run. films. We'll, we'll sure. go. We'll go from the five, oh, the six Rocky movies, <laughs> and the two Creed. To movies Creed, yeah, right. and the Creed Eight. films. Michael B. Jordan. I wish he was Ooh. my son. How was how close was Batman to shooting Gordon when he was in the back of the truck? Like he's shooting at the truck. Gordon's in the back with the bomb. Oh yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> I always feel like when Gordon. Also, gets there's out, a nuclear like, bomb back there. Maybe don't fucking shoot oh, rockets yeah, into it, man. Be careful. <laughs> Be careful. Don't hurt Gordon. Uh, you know, I love asking this question. Would this have made a great TV series? Of course. I think this one more than any of the other two. Yeah. yeah. Like, really could have done a few seasons of this. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, so this is something that I've saved for this very podcast. Yeah. My three moments, because uh, I don't want people to think that I'm completely rose-coloured in everything that I watch. Yeah. I love the movies. I'm not yeah. saying that they're flawless, but yeah. these are the three moments in Nolan movies that I don't buy the acting. Okay. Number one, uh. Hugh Jackman in The Prestige, yeah. when he reads, he's reading Borden's diary <laughs> and he writes, uh, Bale's written, you know, oh, I, don't, I can't remember which knot I uh, tied for Jackman's wife. Uh-huh. And there's a certain, that moment where Jackman's like, why does he not know? Well, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I, I don't feel like you're angry. I don't feel like you're angry. I think you're acting. And I love Jackman. I love him. Yeah, but that's yeah, just yeah. the one but, moment you know, that I sit there and human. I go, oh, I didn't really buy that. Yeah. Two, this might hurt you. Di- DiCaprio watching his wife die in Inception. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah no, no. And he's great. Yeah. Like, he's great all yeah, the way yeah. through it, but I just don't buy that. DiCaprio yelling and crying has a, has a certain um, tonality to it that is consistent through every movie he's in. Yes. That, that, the, the way his voice um, cracks when he screams is yeah. always a bit, oh, oh, dude. What are you doing? Yeah. And Cotillard's death scene in The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. It's just a little bit of a, yeah. you know, I have a feeling that she is pretty pregnant in that scene. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's, there's a bit of a pantomime like, oh. Yeah. Like the final gasp and the eyes close. No, yeah. I know what you mean. Yep. There you go. Yep. I don't want anyone saying oh, that I knew? can't find criticism. Who knew? <laughs> but I was going to bring that up in the prestige, and then I thought, oh, there's only two, there's only two other. Oh, you know what? I'll save it for now. Yeah. Um, is so is the message of this movie at the end? Is it better to believe in the many rather than rely on the hope of the few? It's like yeah. you know, rather than just keep trying to pin this on uh you know worry about gordon worry you know gordon and bruce and all that it, it spreads throughout the city and they all have to kind of work together is to the, get that, 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 i think that's the only way that that's the only hope for human beings to not completely destroy themselves yeah i think so too. To, to invest all of your um trust and hope in uh a select few <laughs> I mean that's that, that that's the totalitarian wave that's sweeping through the world right now, and it's right. not fucking working out. No, not at all. 
Uh, and finally, so, well, maybe you don't think this, but I had this question to end on, you know, how, how do you feel about the ending? Did you want Bruce to die? Uh, you know, the movie ends, but the story continues. Do you, uh, do you think Bruce runs after Alfred and they share a ferny branker? <laughs> well, based on my interpretation of it this time, I think that fucking Alfred's tripping out in that right. cafe and that's not really there. But if he is, uh, I just, it always struck me as hard to swallow that two people who mean so much to each other would just nod and acknowledge each other in part ways forever. I can't... Like, what's the... What's the I think downside in just going, hey, we did it? I think it's... Uh, well, absolutely. Oh, like, I think it's... On, man. I, I think it's... He's your dad. Well, I think it's like the metaphor of being under... Like, if you watch it as metaphor, mm. then it's quite beautiful. But there's also the practical side of me that yeah, would like, like oh, I'd be friends. Be the guy friends. raised you. Like right. you can, you're in the fr- fucking French Riviera. No one's around. Just Mate, say hi. Well, here's the other thing: is that <laughs> you're probably going to have to borrow a buck from him to pay for lunch. <laughs> uh, always like the nice little touch that uh, Selena's wearing the pearls. Yes, as well. It's yes. a nice little touch. Yep. All right, some squid bits uh, to finish up. When Nolan's brother Jonah handed in his first version of the Dark Knight Rises script, it was 400 pages long. <laughs> Man, give me that script. Bro. Give me that script. <laughs> Inject it straight into my Is eyes. Is it available anywhere? I don't know. But you should look that up. Well, I just feel like those guys are so secretive. That's probably... Yeah. Uh, as soon as they finish a draft, they probably print it and eat it and then delete it. It's in a dream vault uh, in their brains. Yeah, I know. Let me in. <laughs> Jonah said... You have to think of A Tale of Two Cities, which, of course, you've read. And Christopher replied, absolutely. Then, while reading the script, realised he'd actually never read the book. He then read the book, loved it, and understood where Jonah was coming from. So that's kind of yeah. funny. I like the idea of them talking like that. And, <laughs> yeah, of course I have. Oh, hang on a sec. No, I haven't. Uh, there is a kangaroo court in A Tale of Two Cities where Charles is put on trial for his life. He's granted his freedom and is then rearrested within hours and sentenced to the guillotine. So another, you know, uh-huh, another... Uh-huh. Uh, oh, and also in the book, after Sydney has given his life for Charles, who is also married to the woman he loves, they have a grandson who is named Sydney. This Sydney also becomes a lawyer and is incredibly successful compared to the debaucherously alcoholic man he was named after. So the sins of the man are, are erased in the future legacy. Yep. Batman is considered a criminal until he saves Gotham and now his reputation will live on mm-hmm, through mm-hmm. Blake. Mm-hmm. The song playing in the masquerade ballroom scene is Maurice Ravel's Pavane for a Dead Princess, uh, which is about Spanish customs and sensibilities. And FYI, that my favourite scene in any previous Batman movie is in Batman Returns when Keaton and Pfeiffer dance mm-hmm. at the ball and they both realise they can't be together because they suddenly know who the other one is yeah. and I, I I do think Nolan kind of does his versions of previous Batmans like you know we've seen it with the mask that Heath Ledger wears in yep. The Dark Knight is the one that Cesar Romero yep. wore in the Adam West Batman and yep. all that kind of stuff so there is a part of me that also thinks the bomb at the end is his shout out to Adam West yeah, not being able to get rid of the bomb <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. would have been great as, as he's about to drop it he looks down sees some ducks oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> keeps flying uh, Bane's right hand man is named uh, by the way I love that ballroom scene too yeah, I love everything great. about it I love the acting yeah. I think it looks yeah, beautiful her line delivery is fantastic oh uh, and he's you know that 
when she makes a joke about bigger than what you have in your pants and he's like, ouch. <laughs> Such a good delivery. Like it could have been corny, but it's... Uh, yeah. And when she's saying, you know, not all of us got to be born in the master bedroom. Well, I was actually born in the regent room. Yeah, like yeah. he kind of owns yeah, who he is. But it's such a great moment as well. Who are you pretending to be? Bruce Wayne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. He, at this point, he is pretending to be yeah. Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Uh, Bane's right-hand man is named Bassard. Uh, in the novel, uh, John Bassard is a spy and scoundrel who helps Sidney and Charles switch places before the execution. Uh, the name... Miranda means worthy of admiration, while Bane means a cause of great distress. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've kept this from Batman Begins, uh, which was interesting when you were talking about the operatic nature of it. The opera that Bruce is taken to in the first film is Boito's Mephistopheles, a reworking of the Faust tale as told by Goethe. We see the scene where the monsters on stage are in rapture, reminding us that crime and evil help make Gotham what it is today. Bruce's father is a god of sorts who is attempting to save the city, but the all-benevolent father uh, tries to save his family and is then gone. Bruce loses his way and ends up at the feet of the devil, Ra's al Ghul, which translates from the Arabic as head of the demon. Mm. In the dark night, the parallels continue. Just as Faust's selfish mistakes leads to the death of his wife, Bruce chooses to save Rachel instead of the man who can save Gotham and is tricked into her Uh dying. In the final movie and the opera... Faust is old and has lost his way, just as Bruce has. But both men regain their purpose. Faust turns back to God and Bruce returns to save the city of his family. Faust dies and is resurrected in heaven. Batman dies and Bruce is resurrected in Florence. (laughs) A word that translates as I blossom or I flourish, which seems appropriate for Ah, Mr. Wayne. Very good. Rumour. I was holding on to this. Rumour that the initial idea for the third movie would have had the Joker on trial while Two-Face would have been revealed to be alive going on a rampage across See, that's the Yeah, that's the movie I actually wanted before I yes. saw this movie. That's what I wanted. Yeah. I never bought that Two-Face died at the end of Dark Knight. Yeah. I was always like, what, he's fallen, what? A couple yeah. of metres. How, how is he dead? Yeah. I always thought that that... He's also had, like, he's had half his face blown off. He's no, I know, but he's been injuries. running around I know for, for a mean. bit. He's um, also been in a car crash that he's yeah, walked out of too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but it's, it's bad. But, yeah, no, um, I know what you mean. I always, I, when I went into this, I always thought that... That was what Bane's plan was going to be. Yeah. That Dent was some, in you know, the basement level of Arkham, yeah. hidden away from the world to maintain this lie, yeah. and that Bane was going to bust Two Face out right. to reveal, no, he's fucking alive, and this whole thing is a lie, and rah rah. rah. So I, I, I was the first time I saw this. I was again, it's that thing of not getting the thing that you think you're going to get. Uh, but I was very disappointed that Two-Face didn't show up in the third film. In some way. Yeah. yeah but uh, funnily enough, permeates it as yes. well. But yeah, yeah interesting. Yeah. Tom Hardy wore three-inch lifts to make Bane appear as tall as his co-stars. That's cute. <laughs> oh, but I tell you what, like in that final fight scene, when he is punching Christian Bale, you are looking and you're going, oh, you are punching Christian Bale. I wonder, you know how the wall behind him cracks. I wonder if that was meant to happen or if that was actually him going to work. Uh, Hardy based his voice on Bartley Gorman, the undefeated Irish bare-knuckle boxing champion of the United Kingdom. And when you you see stuff and you go, oh. But that also gets back to, which we've talked about on previous podcasts, people who sound funny can often be the scariest people that you've ever met. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, I've already told you, but uh, Nolan wanted Cotillard so much for Talia that he rescheduled filming to accommodate her pregnancy. 
Anthony Hopkins was offered the role of Alfred. He would have been a great Alfred. He would have been a great Alfred. Great Alfred. Like I love. Yeah. But Kurt Russell was nearly Jim Gordon. Uh, I'm glad. I like Kurt Russell. I like him, but, but he's not. But it's like, you know, you know in Misery, mm. and James Kahn is yeah. in a bed for the whole movie, yeah. and James Kahn said... Mate, I've got all this prickly energy. Like, I like it was really hard for me to do it, and it comes across in the performance. Yeah. And and Oldman has a lot of prickly energy, and I think that really bubbles yeah. at the surface of of yeah. old of Gordon. Yeah. And I think it really works. So that's why when he has that snap, you know, you know, hopefully you can have a friend like I did. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, like the, you can you can feel the guilt yeah, eating absolutely. away. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yep. What a lovely, lovely voice was an inspired moment of improvisation from Hardy. <laughs> Such a funny scene. Like, that makes me laugh every time. Oh, what a lovely, lovely voice. So here's something interesting. Nolan avoided an NC-17 rating by cutting Matthew Modine's death scene. Modine was on Cinema Blend's Real Blend podcast promoting the 4K release of Full Metal Jacket recently and had this to say. He cut my death scene out of Dark Knight Rises because he said it was so violent that it would have gotten an NC-17 rating. Uh, Marion Cotillard, after Bane dies and Batman, uh, Christian, uh, you know, getting stabbed, uh, she gets in one of those vehicles, she starts to drive away and I'm shooting at her and I got run over. All it does is it just cuts and I'm on the ground dead. But it was so violent. The guy that was doubling me got hit by the car. They put a pexiglass thing on the front of the car and he got hit. They had ropes to pull him into the air, but he went up and they dropped him about 15 feet and the sound of his body hitting the cobblestone street in front of the New York Stock Exchange, it was sickening. And I remember I looked at Christopher Nolan when we shot it and his face was white. He was like, okay, let's move on. We got that. (laughs) But it was like, oh my God, is that guy going to get up? Is he okay? But Nolan said that if he would have put it in the movie, that would have given it the NC-17 rating because it was just... So violent. Yeah, right. Uh, which, because I always thought, you know, he's down on the ground and there's no uh, bullet holes or anything, yeah. but that must be what it yeah. is. Yeah. And, you know, like, uh, I think there was a scene in Tenet that he cut. There was one scene that he cut with uh, Branagh being violent towards Debecky mm. that uh, he that was the difference between everyone can see it and only, yeah, you know. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, Nolan wasn't sold on returning to finish the trilogy and when he finally agreed to, he disagreed with Warner Brothers' desire to have Leonardo DiCaprio as the Riddler to match the Joker. Oy, oy, oy. It could have worked. But... It could have worked. I told you the dream I had where I dreamt that I'd seen the third film. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> and it was the Riddler and it was a serial killer. And, I, and then I saw the Patterson trailer and you go, oh, maybe yeah. that's kind of what we're getting there. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Maybe I dreamt further into... Maybe maybe I dream into the future the way <laughs> Nolan does. Maybe I should work with Nolan. Why am I friends with Nolan? <laughs> Talia says, at the charity ball, you must invest if you wish to restore balance to the world, which is the mission of the League of Shadows who attempt to restore balance to the world. Mm. She also has a scar that is similar to one on Bane's head. There is plenty of evidence that the child isn't Bane, including the fact that the child isn't scarred, and he says he didn't see light until he was already a man. The football scene was shot during a massive heat wave in the summer of 2011, even though they're all rugged up for winter. So imagine being in the... <laughs> Jeez. Uh, when Bruce traces the fake fingerprints that Selena was wearing when she cracked his safe, the results show Nikolai Andreko, which is the same name the Joker uses to write the fake obituary for the man. Oh, right. And... Finally, some callbacks to Batman begins. In both movies, the first time he talks to Gordon, he's wearing a ski mask. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The joke about the tumbler and the bat both coming in black, 
But yep. it's, it's funny, in the first one, you know, it shows you Bruce Wayne's, you know, kind of cheeky. Yeah. Does it come in black? And then when Lucius says it to him, he feels a, he yeah, like he's a bit, melancholy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in the first movie, oh, yeah, so I was just saying he, he's jazzed in the uh, this one. He's weary. The League of Shadows, of course, in the, so that's obvious. Batman doesn't arrive in the movie until well into the running time. In this movie, I checked it because I was curious. In the first one, it's like about an hour. And I, yeah. I think I told you, I remember turning to Adam Richin and saying, God, I hope this doesn't ruin the movie. And in this, it's 45 minutes yeah, before right. he turns yeah. up. In the first movie, he wakes up in bed and Alfred is there for him. In this movie, he wakes up, but Alfred is gone. Uh-huh. The mask breaks in the third movie. The same shape it broke when they're testing them in Begins. Bruce has the same kind of beard he had in the first movie. And you know why Batman doesn't fall through the ice at the end? Because he always learned to mind his surroundings. Ah, very good, film. very good. So any last thoughts on... This trilogy, did you enjoy the rewatch? Yeah, of course. I yeah. mean, uh, yeah, and I think that's the way to do it is to watch all three uh, yeah. and get the full arc of the story rather than, um, yeah, I think certain things that might seem a bit of a stretch uh, really resonate if all three are watched as they're meant to be watched. Yeah, 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 I think so too. So we've only got a couple more to go. I know, I know. It's making me sad. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll just go back to the start again. But uh, <laughs> next up. I have to be honest, I've had a real hard think about this. Yeah. It's my favourite film. We, Great. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to Interstellar and uh, I'm going to create a black hole for us to record <laughs> <laughs> Always a big thank you to Ben Elwood for his insights into the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, just so you know, we've already recorded the next podcast for Interstellar. And if you've enjoyed the rewatch so far, uh, hold on to your fifth dimensional bookcases because I think this might be the best one yet. Like, seriously, I think it got to the end and Ben and I looked at each other and went, oh, okay, that felt good. So hopefully you agree. It'd be embarrassing if you listen to that one and go, nah, not for me. But uh, that will be coming to you in the next couple of weeks. Uh, next week, we'll have a bunch of topics for you. Uh, we, uh, as I said, I've been working on all these different ones. And so there'll be a new John Cheever short story review, a review of a graphic novel I just reread for the first time in quite a while, and a good friend making their big squid debut. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a top review on Apple Podcasts and please recommend us to your friends. We're building nice momentum here and it would be great to get to a point where this is in a place where I can say no to other work. Uh, You know, it'd just be nice to be able to just keep doing more of this. I'd like to try and get it out uh, twice a week, but uh, unfortunately, you know, you have to make money where you can and uh, especially in these uh, current times. So uh, the more people we have listening, uh, the easier it will be to uh, start adding some extras to it that will hopefully uh, allow us to make this a little bit more full-time for you. And also remember to put December 13 in your diary for our live Big Squid Atheist Christmas Party. The lineup is looking fantastic so far, and once I finalise a 
couple of names, I'll let you know so you can begin to book your tickets and either see us at Giant Dwarf or watch us streaming live on the internet. Thank you once again for your time. It's always appreciated uh, that you listen to the podcast and uh, thank you also for all the uh, kind words that you send our way. Let's finish this episode with a quote from Gary Oldman. You choose your friends by their character and your socks by their colour. Gary Oldman. I'll never stop loving that guy. Until then. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.